Welcome to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast with your hosts, Danny and Vanessa Panzella Velez. Join us and special expert guests as we discuss love, sex, parenting, psychedelics, and spirituality. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, please visit us at Patreon.com slash SovereignLoveStream. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sovereign Love Stream. Happy Sovereign Sunday. Happy Sunday. (laughs) Well, it's been a crazy week. Things are really intense. Intense. That's a good way to put it. I think we need to talk before we get into the topic today, which is interracial relationships, which is kind of related to what's been happening with all the racial tensions this week. Um, I think we need to talk a little bit about George Floyd and about what's happening. Um, do you have any anything you want to say about that before I get into one of my rants? <laughs> uh, yes, I actually think I was actually thinking about this a few minutes ago. Um, it's it has been a very intense week. And uh, last week uh, after our show, we had actually already decided to do this topic on interracial relationships. And it seems even more appropriate now. Um, there's so much going on and I kind of, there's there's this confusion and everybody is taking sides. And there, it seems like where we should be more um, united in this moment, it, people are even more divided than usual. And it's pretty sad when you think about it. Um, so I think the main message, at least from my part, is we all have to do our work. There's so much work to be done. And I think we have a tendency to view what we want life to look like. And we want everybody to fall in line with our view of the world. And that's never going to happen. There are too many points of view. There are too many ways of looking at things. And I think the only thing we really have control over is ourselves. And how we do the work. Um, Last week, we talked about personal responsibility. And in this case, um, I think it's more important than ever to be fully aware of our personal responsibility, um, to look at where some of our thoughts stem from, where some of the stories that we've told ourselves come from, um, whether that's us looking at what the media is showing us and fully believing what the media says instead of doing our own investigation, instead of talking to people that are present, people who are having these experiences, um, we have a tendency to just go with what the media shows us and we're like, oh yeah, that's the story. Um, So I think more than ever, we have to be really responsible in how we consume the news, how we consume media, um, how we connect with other people. Uh, We have to be willing to set our egos aside and listen to the other side in all situations. I think um, sometimes we focus on the victim of the situation. um, And I think in situations like this, there are many victims. 
Um, and I think it's important to look at that. Yesterday, I was listening to my best friend's very first podcast, and uh, the title of the podcast was Unfuck the Police. And it was really, really difficult to listen to because there's a part of me that it wants to be angry and wants to hold on to that righteous anger, and it serves nobody. It serves absolutely no purpose. And that means I have to look at myself and, and look at the reasons why I want to hold on to this anger, why I feel entitled to this anger. Um, and it's work. It's a lot of work to look at that, to change your perspective, to change your point of view. Um, and that doesn't mean that it dismisses anything else. It just means looking at yourself, sitting with the uncomfortable feelings, sitting with the uncomfortableness of uh, watching a fellow human being suffering and and having to deal with the fact that, yeah, that's happening in the world. And sometimes we want to turn a blind eye. We want to say, no, this isn't happening. I'm going to look away. I'm not going to focus my energy on that. I'm a very spiritual person and I'm all about high vibes, but I'm also about sitting with the uncomfortable feelings. And I think a lot of us are afraid to sit with those uncomfortable feelings and it is absolutely necessary. If we want to change anything, we have to be willing to sit with the uncomfortable feelings. And I don't think I have any answers to how to fix the problems of the world. I don't think any one person has those answers. And um, I think this episode is very specifically about um, how we are doing the work as a couple to work through the situations um, and the circumstances that we all experience um and i mean that's just my two cents i think <laughs> um i think that i agree with you 100 percent um i do feel like i have a rant in me that i need to get <laughs> out because i think you're absolutely right i mean we need to be empathizing with all parties and as hard as it is i mean i gave a speech in 2015 at the liberty fest in new york city where the the theme was empathize with cops right i get that police believe that probably most of them believe that they're trying to do the right thing and they uh, they know the system is broken i've had many i've helped organize events with police officers both white and um police officers of color and they know the system is broken, even the ones that are, you know, very gung-ho about it, but they feel like it's the best system we have. And, you know, I vehemently disagree with that, but um, I can understand that they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to keep the peace. They're trying to protect the greatest amount of people. But the problem with that is that the minority gets left behind. And so I feel like I need to challenge um, people and I feel like this is going to trigger some people and I'm not intending to trigger you really what I'm doing is pleading um, and specifically I want to talk to the 70% white Americans who either stay silent about this issue or are or automatically take the side of the police I understand that rioting and looting does not seem like, and in many cases, in many ways, is not the best response to, to um, police brutality and murder. I agree with that. I don't, I don't condone looting, um, but I have to say this, right? The 
white majority can stop police brutality right now by standing up and telling the police that work for us, telling the government that works for us, we're the majority, this is a democracy. So that's majority rules, right? Which is immoral, but that's the system we're in. If the 70% white majority stood up today and said police brutality is no more, we are not gonna permit our government to act this way. Police brutality ends. And that's for black, white, it doesn't matter. Police abuse everybody, all right? But they disproportionately, the ratios are higher. Blacks only make up 13% of this country, but they're killed at a much higher rate than that, okay? There's no disputing that. And I'm not arguing that police don't hurt white people. They do, I know they do. I've been arrested many times for protesting, just expressing my First Amendment right. I've never been beaten up. I've never been shot or tased. So, I mean, that says something, right? And you're a loud mouth. <laughs> and I'm a loud mouth. I'm obnoxious. I will get in a cop's face. I've been accused of assault for brushing against the cop's pinky. But that was the end of it. He walked away. He said, you just assaulted me. But, you know, he, his logic couldn't hold up. So he walked away. But that's besides the point. The point is that the 70% white people in this country can end it today if we want to. And we need to. And the rioting would have never happened. The rioting is because people tried to kneel and they were they were called race baiters and called all kinds of names, un-American, unpatriotic, because they kneeled in protest. That was the peaceful protest. And now we want to complain because we did nothing. The 70% did nothing. Obama did nothing. Why? Because even though he's a black president, he serves the, the, the majority and the majority is 70% white people. Biden, if you're a progressive and you think voting is the answer, voting is not the answer because Biden isn't going to do anything either because he serves a 70% white majority that is silent. They may care. Hopefully they do care, but they're silent about it. There's, if the white people were out here protesting peacefully, if the 70%, I don't even know how many people are in this country and, and what that 70% white population, how many people that is, if we were all in the streets saying no, this would end today. That is our responsibility. That's our individual responsibility and collective responsibility to do that. And I'm challenging you to get involved. You don't have to go out and riot. You don't have to go out and loot. But you need to demand your government stop treating minorities this way. They have the same natural rights that everyone else does. Whether they're citizens or not, they're human beings. You're born with natural rights. So unless you believe blacks or, or immigrants or illegals or whatever are not created by God, they have the same natural rights to freedom that you do. Free speech, all of the things that the Constitution supposedly puts into the Bill of Rights. We don't have rights because the Bill of Rights says it. we do. We have it because we're human beings, we have souls, and those natural rights come with that. Okay? We need to start standing up for everybody's rights, not just when it's convenient. People stormed the capitals armed to protest the lockdowns. And I agree with that. I have no problem with that. I think that's great. But why are they not storming the capitals to protest police brutality? Because we're not as affected by it. But we need to start getting involved because if, if we allow police to take minority rights, they're going to take the majority rights too. And, and in many ways, they already have. So, it just doesn't look the same. <laughs> it doesn't look the same. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, I'm sorry if, if this is hard to hear, but it's the truth.
And if you disagree, feel free to comment and, you know, we'll, we can address any questions or, or, you know, complaints about the rant. I think, <laughs> I think that's it. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, but I feel very passionate about this and it's very upsetting. Honestly, I didn't really care much either. You know, I was a tea party. I started a tea party chapter here in New York City. And at the time, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't really that concerned with minority rights or anybody's rights, really, because I was living a different lifestyle. I was partying and I really didn't care about freedom or any of these things. Um, but when I started to get involved and realized that when you're protesting against something that the police disagree with, then they start to treat you that way. That's when I realized, oh, my God, this is the way minorities are treated on a daily basis. That's what started to open my eyes. So anyway, sorry, rant over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's necessary. I think it's absolutely necessary to have these conversations, um, to use our voice and our platform to initiate these conversations. And yeah, it's not going to sit right with everybody. Um, um, there's here, uh, we have a comment. You know, I don't, I don't deny that that George Soros would manipulate and fund Black Lives Matter or, or fund certain things to stoke more issues. That doesn't mean that racism is not an issue. How can you, George Mafoy, deny that police brutality is a problem? How can you deny that? Yeah, I, of course, the powers that be want to take advantage and stoke, you know, racial tensions to keep us divided. Absolutely. But the answer is not to say to black people, your problems don't matter because George Soros is funding this cause, so we don't need to pay attention to it. The answer is, let's stop the state from oppressing everybody, not just oppressing who we feel convenient that we want to protect. We want to end the lockdown, so we're going to storm the Capitol armed. Well, I want to end police brutality. Let's storm the, uh, the Capitol arms to end police brutality. That's true. There are other nuances. There is class because, you know, wealthy black people are not treated as bad as poor black people or, or poor white people. It's not, it isn't as black and white. It's a spectrum issue, right? It's, there's many, it's called intersectionality. There's many, many issues that are all intertwined. You cannot remove class and race in this country. You can't. While my grandfather was buying his first house, my black friend the same age, his grandfather was fighting for his right to vote. So you can't compare the two. He, they are not, were not able to build wealth the way my grandparents were. We don't start right? on the same platform. We're not starting at the same, right. So, I mean, there are many, many issues. So this is not black and white, but it doesn't matter if we believe in natural rights, we protect the natural rights of everybody. All right, so. So <laughs> <laughs> let's get into interracial relationships now. now and I, and I think that this applies to not just romantic relationships, but all relationships. Um, I think we all struggle through the same issues, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a work relationship, whatever it is. Um, I think the stuff that we've experienced as a couple would be helpful or can be helpful mm -hmm. uh, to to any situation. Um, I'm going to bring up the uh, show notes so we don't miss anything. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So where do we want to, where do you want to begin? Well, I think um, one of the first things that people think about when it comes to um, interracial relationships is pressures from the outside. So um, that can come in many forms. It can come in with being on the street and people looking at you a certain way. 
So do you ever feel like when we're out on the street, white people look at you like, what is she doing with that white guy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, there, there are so many things and this kind of goes back to personal responsibility and um, dismantling some of these um, ideas that we carry just through generational traumas. Um, my parents are Mexican immigrants and they came to this country when they were very young and there weren't that many Mexicans in New York City at the time. Uh, so they kind of learned to keep their head down, to be, stay quiet, to not attract attention. Um, there was extreme racism towards uh, Mexicans at the time because they were just such an extreme minority and I carry those insecurities with me so I don't always know if somebody's looking at us and thinking what is this Mexican girl doing with this white guy or if it's something that I just internally have believed because this has been the experience of my parents um, it's uh, sometimes complicated when um, I'm out with Xander, Danny's son, who is like... Very pale. Very, very pale. <laughs> He's very white. <laughs> and, you know, maybe people think I'm the nanny. I don't know. <laughs> it's sometimes it's it's like people look and it's almost like they're not sure. And it, it's, it's a little complicated. Um, I wish people didn't look at me that way. But, you know, I also have have learned to not let that affect me um that that doesn't necessarily change my relationship it doesn't change um, my lifestyle um but that does happen um we had an experience with a friend of yours a few years ago that um i brought up an issue um this was i think the first year that trump was president and a lot of people in new york city celebrate cinco de mayo cinco de mayo um New York City has a huge population of Mexicans from Puebla. And Cinco de Mayo is a holiday that's celebrated in Puebla because it's the celebration of the Battle of Puebla. And unfortunately, in so many parts of New York City, um, Mexican establishments were being threatened that if they hosted Cinco de Mayo events, they were going to call immigration on them. So a lot of these uh, businesses decided to cancel their events and, you know, couldn't really celebrate. And our friend had a bar in Brooklyn and had a Cinco de Mayo party, and it was complete with all of the stereotypical Mexican decorations and and ideas that you could possibly think of and there was nothing that was supportive of the mexican community um he used to have vendors that had food at his restaurant so it would have been an opportunity for him to hire a local mexican vendor and say hey why don't you sell your food here if you can't have host your party let's host together and you know this can help out the mexican community or perhaps do some sort of donation to mexican communities i don't know there there were so many opportunities but i made a comment and he got very offended and shut me down immediately and that was the end of that conversation but um not long after that we were at his bar again and he was introducing somebody to danny and we were standing together. I mean, we're a couple. All of us are friends. And he came over and stood right in front of me and introduced Danny to this this other couple. And, um, you know, Danny kind of paused and tried to introduce me. And as he started to introduce me, the friend interrupted him again and spoke over him and again stood in front of me and just kind of avoided me being part of the conversation. And it was really offensive. <laughs> um, I Again, I got upset. I walked away. I didn't argue. But Danny did call him out for that. And it turned into an argument. And um, this person refused to... Uh, to apologize or to even admit that there was anything wrong with what was happening. 
This was somebody that, you know, I cared about. He was a good friend. And it's upsetting when um, when somebody treats not just your love. I mean, obviously, it's it's more hurtful to me because she's my love, you know, my love. And it's, it's of course, always more taken more personally. Um, but just in general, for someone to kind of make these comments and, and take these things and and then when you bring them up, like in a in a nice way, not like calling him out, like "Hey, asshole, what are you doing?" It's it was more like, "Hey, you know, you hurt her feelings." Oh, she's just being oversensitive, and you know, there's no like, "Oh my God, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt her feelings." I I, I don't know what I was thinking, or I was drinking at the time, and you know, I just I, whatever, none of that. So you know, but it was a struggle for me because I wanted to remain his friends, this friend despite this. And Vanessa tried to be supportive, and for months we were going to the bar because it was new business, and we wanted to support him. But at the same time, Vanessa was like, "Look, he just keeps insulting me, and it's clear that there's some subconscious, you know, issue here, you know, and I, you know, I can't, I can't support this anymore." It came to the point that because he just refused to even see her point of view even trying to calmly talk about it, I had to just end my friendship with him. And that's that's sad for me. I didn't want to have to do that. But that was something that was causing conflict be, between us. And, you know, I cannot, I can't remain friends, regardless of whether his issue was race or not. I can't continue to be friends with somebody who is, you know, going to disrespect my partner uh, constantly. This wasn't like a, a once, you know, a one-time thing. So, um, and I think... I've experienced that also on the street where I feel like we, we live in an area where there are a lot of Mexican people or a lot of Latinos. And I do feel like sometimes um, Latino men will give me looks for being with her or maybe, you know, maybe they resent it. I don't know, you know, and I can understand that, too. Right. I mean, I can understand as a minority in the United States where everything is controlled by the white majority feeling like, oh, they come and they want to take our women, too. I mean, obviously, love, you know, doesn't doesn't work that way. You know, it doesn't see those things. So, you know, we're going to fall in love whether or not we're from two different groups or economic statuses or whatever it is. Um, that's not going to stop you from falling in love. So but I think, you know, it goes both ways. You know, um, I think, again, the anger can can come from any side and. That's that's still that's like our personal responsibility is to deal with those things, those 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 angers or resentments me we might have towards other people. And I think that it it means having those difficult conversations within our own families. I mean, um, I there's no denial that even in minority communities, racism exists towards white people, towards other races. It, you know, it doesn't it it's not limited. We're not here to say white people are the only racist people out there. Um, it exists in, in all other cultures. And I think, you know, it goes back to personal responsibility. Once you're aware of the issue, having the conversations with your family members, hey, that comment is you're, you're making a generalization. You're collectivizing a group of people and you don't really know. Um, we've had situations at times also with, uh, you know, um, some of Danny's family members having these very strong ideas about what Mexican people are. And it's irrelevant that I'm Mexican. It's irrelevant that my experience has been completely different from theirs. Um, 
Like I said, my parents are Mexican immigrants. I grew up in a household that welcomed um, immigrants when they arrived from Mexico. And um, our community, the Mexican community, at least the Mexican community that I grew up in, was always very helpful. Um, There was, if somebody arrived, there was always somebody that was going to show up with a, you know, I have a place for you to stay. Somebody saying, I have a job for you to start tomorrow. It's, you know, just delivering groceries or or, um, washing dishes or whatever the the job was. Um, Somebody else would show up and say, here, I have $50 I can give you to help you out until you get on your feet. And the community just always stepped in to help. And we've had conversations with some of Danny's family members that believe that as soon as Mexicans cross the border, they go right to the welfare welfare office and, and get all of the benefits that are given in this country. And I mean, from every... Mexican that I've ever encountered and have been connected with, that has not been the case. And um, but that that's irrelevant to some of um, some of these people because look, it's it, we're talking mostly about my dad. Um, so my dad is a Trump supporter. He's a MAGA guy, and I understand my dad's frustration with government. So do I. I'm very frustrated with you know taxation being theft and it being our th- things being stolen and redistributed. Um, so I get his frustration, but he's taking out his anger on the wrong person. If you get mugged on the street and the mugger, as he makes off with your wallet, sees a homeless guy and gives the homeless guy a dollar, you're not going to attack the homeless guy to get that dollar. I mean, you might ask for it back, but the homeless guy didn't steal from you. The mugger stole from you. Government is the mugger. Government is your enemy, not immigrants. So... And, you know, besides the myth that immigrants even get, yes, there are certain programs, they can get certain subsidies, but it's it's nothing. It's nothing compared to much, bi- corporate subsidies are way larger than welfare in general for U.S. citizens, never mind the small, tiny little pittance that some undocumented can get um, once they've reached a certain level in the process of becoming citizens. Um, so... These ranch just like pop up and it's like, (laughs) I can't even control myself. So anyway, (laughs) Sunday dinners with my dad can be very heated. And we get into these heated debates about this, right? You see how passionate I get about it, right? So imagine now he's just as passionate as I am and he's arguing the counterpoints. So here's poor Vanessa. Now, I, I feel like I'm defending her. I feel like he's, you know, saying these things and defending Trump's comments about Mexicans. And I feel like I'm defending her and stepping in. But she's uncomfortable with the arguing in general, right? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I I completely understand where Danny is coming from every time he wants to um, correct his dad or or make sure that he he knows the truth. And I get that. I truly do appreciate it Um, when it happens every Sunday or every time we go have Sunday dinner there. um, It's exhausting. And there are times where I am just not in the mood to hear it because I know that as soon as he starts arguing, the counter argument is going to be louder and more aggressive and at times more offensive and that's just not something I'm I have the 
energy to deal with. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to hear somebody's perspective so loud. And, you know, there have been times where I've tried to give my point of view and say, hey, you know, I'm Mexican. So I feel like I have a little bit more knowledge about this than you because I, I think you're just getting this information from the internet or from Fox News or from wherever. And I'm getting my information firsthand. I see I'm seeing these experiences. Um, but they're irrelevant to him. So at the end of the day, I don't think he's interested in really knowing. I mean, we've uh, we've also had experiences with other family members where, you know, we've been at events and Danny tries to call, you know, especially after that, after me saying, I don't have the energy to deal with these arguments anymore. Um, you know, we were at a wedding and Danny had a similar argument with a family member and he was just like, shut down the argument immediately before I came back from the bathroom because he was like, I don't want her to have to deal with this. We're at a wedding to have a good time it's it's completely unnecessary yeah this is a very a very common thing and you know despite what your personal feelings may be you don't have the right to try to interfere or put your prejudices or or even if you don't think they're prejudices even if you think they're legitimate ideas to to force them on other people and shame people for who they love because of how you feel you don't you don't feel that that I don't know. It's part of me to, to, is like, should we even bother to address address this, right? Like, should we even bother to address people that think, oh, you shouldn't be together. You're you're a traitor to your race if you date or marry outside of your race. I don't know. It's so frustrating. I mean, it's a traitor to who? And and at this point, there's so many. Um it's very it's almost impossible to find somebody who's f completely pure <laughs> of uh, in any particular race i mean yeah. this country is filled with people that are mixed race as a result of rape as a result of um colonialism and it, it, it's impossible to say you know we have to remain pure and only stick to our own kind it's a very close-minded point of view and if i mean ultimately if that's your decision and your choice go for it you're free to do that i don't think anybody's going to criticize you for um falling in love with somebody that's of your same race um i think we have to again have personal responsibility and decide if it why does it bother me if i see a couple a mixed race couple somewhere why is this an issue i mean look at look at this i mean what century are we in <laughs> rachel come on i'm antagonizing my father by trying to have a conversation with him about why all Mexicans are not rapists? I mean, do you believe all Mexicans are rapists? You didn't you say that you're Mexican? So you agree with Trump's comment that Mexicans are drug dealers and rapists, but some might be good people. You agree with that? I'll wait for your answer. I mean, come on, people. This is just ridiculous. Anyway, so that's that's. <laughs> I'm not going to let them hi hijack the stream. But. Those, but those pressures are hard, right? Because it could come down to, luckily it doesn't with, with my dad. I mean, he's passionate about it, but he's not so much of a racist that he's like, you shouldn't be dating a, a Mexican because she's a rapist drug dealer. Luckily, he's not that much of an extremist. But what if he was? And what if it came down to me having to choose? What if my dad, because I know this happens, maybe this happened to... Um, was it Joe or uh, somebody made the comment before that we put up? Oh, Goldie, right? 
if somebody's family makes it uh, an ultimatum, either you date within your own race or we're going to ostracize you, you're cut off. And then you have to choose between your family and the person you love. I mean, that's not fair. That's not loving. That's not Christ-like. It's not Christian. Many of these people, MAGA people, claim to be Christians. That's not Christ's message. Love others as you love yourself. Love your enemies even as you love yourself. You know what? If you feel it's the wrong thing to be in an interracial relationship, then pray for us. Because you can't hurt us with prayer, right? He can only bless us with prayer. So that's fine. If you disagree, pray. But... Oh <laughs> well, I mean, here's a clear example of outside pressures, right? We're having a, a love stream. We're talking about interracial relationships and we have comments just like that. Uh, yeah. Offensive comments. And that exists in so many places. I mean, there are so many people that try to keep their relationships private. They don't want to hear the comments. It's exhausting um somebody earlier mentioned something like if these are your examples of racism you know stop being a crybaby it's not that big of a deal and you're right some some of these things are what we call microaggressions they're small incidents but if you live your life having to experience these small incidents over and over and over and over again it gets exhausting i mean i've worked in companies where they're mostly white companies i've had people speak over me ignore my comments ignore the the things that I bring to the table, um, dismiss me very easily, uh, not bring me, not take me into consideration. Um, one of my coworkers who um, hired, who actually hired me into this company, dealt with it so much. Uh, it was causing health issues because there was so much stress over her working and working and working and working, trying to keep up um, and trying to do her best to finally get accepted as a, like a, a regular employee and no matter how, how hard she worked she was never recognized for it and it's exhausting it's exhausting to live your life that way and so yeah it may not be something as major as having somebody call you names and i mean that's happened to me too i've had people tell me to go back to my country um i was born in brooklyn this is my country <laughs> and that's really the thing right this assumption that a lot of people make like if you have brown skin that you're not really an American. You were made an American by maybe you're a citizen, but that's because you applied for citizenship and got it. But you're not really an American. Americans are white. <laughs> and this is an internal thing. One of my friends had the nerve to ask her sister, oh, are you legal? <laughs> like, why would you assume she's not legal just because she has darker skin than you? That's racism, folks. That's racism. There are many brown people born here, <laughs> born citizens, natural born Americans, just as American as you are. Just as Native Americans are brown. I mean, those are the natives. They're more American than I am. <laughs> right? My, at some point, my great-great-grandfather came here. They were born here. <laughs> from going way back before us. So how dare anyone? How dare this Rachel Marie win? How dare you? <laughs> anyway <laughs> but but look at how frustrated i'm getting right just from from these comments from people i don't even know imagine the the frustration of people that you love having these same um these same attitudes but let's get back on track <laughs> <laughs> all right um so then there's internal pressures all right, so in the beginning of our relationship, 
Vanessa worked in a, a big corporation that you would all know. She worked for a television show and she would have to go into the city to work. And she would come home and tell me these stories about how people at work assumed she was the janitor, assumed she was there to clean the... They, she went to work one time and there were people sitting on her desk. And when she came to the desk, they thought she just was there to take the garbage out. So they kind of scooted aside so she could reach past them underneath the desk to pull the garbage out. She was like, no, this is my desk. <laughs> it's like... So she would come home and tell me these stories and I'd be like... You're just being sensitive. You're being oversensitive. Come on. This is, this is, the president's black. There's no more racism. Like, I thought this way too. It took years of her sharing it and me having to see it firsthand for me to finally believe it because I just didn't believe it. I just thought, you're just, you're seeing ghosts where there's no ghosts. You think everything is racism. But it took years of me, and it's because I was in denial about it. I didn't want to admit it, right? I didn't want to see it. But I had a lot of racist attitudes myself. And it's not our fault. It's not necessarily our fault. Like, it's our fault if we don't process it and we don't, like, face it and then do better. That's our fault. But we're born into a society that programs these class divisions, race divisions, like um, George was saying before. Yeah, there are a lot of um, divide and conquer tactics that are programmed into society and are funded by these forces, for sure. I totally agree. But it's our responsibility to overcome these things. And you can't just cry, divide and conquer, every time somebody points out racism. Because it's the ones giving into racism. It's the ones practicing the racism that are the dividing, that are the ones that are promoting the division. Right? Brown people don't hate white people because of their skin color. They're not just like, oh, I hate you because your skin is lighter than mine. If there are certain brown people that do hate white people. It's because they don't like the way they're treated. So they get fed up with it and they're just like, forget it, I hate all white people, they're all racists. And obviously that attitude is wrong too, but it's understandable when you live that way. And I think that what tends to happen is, for example, we have the very overt racist, um, the, the people that are very openly racist. I mean, um, Rachel, right? Was that her mm -hmm. name? You know, she's very open and saying, you know, I, I illegals don't belong here, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's very overt. Um, she's expressing her opinion outwardly. Then we have like progressive liberals in New York City that also have racist tendency. I mean, tendencies. The, this um, recent thing with Amy Cooper, who is um, believed to be a liberal in New York City and she pulled the race card immediately you know when she's on the phone when she's threatening um, this guy with calling the police she's saying I'm gonna tell him I'm gonna tell the cops that an African-American is threatening me you know she very clearly throws the race in there and so it's it's easy for people of color to say well we don't trust anybody because even the liberals come up with this with these um terms or they use race against us when it's convenient for them and so it's very hard to have trust in just anybody let's talk about this before we talk about this though i just want to respond to the illegals don't belong here it's not racism comment the idea that certain people don't belong here in America, a free country, is by definition collectivism. You're saying Americans, people born on this patch of land, are better than people born on other patches of land. And if those people want to come here because this is a freer country, they're only allowed if we say they're, that they're allowed. 
That's not freedom. How do you justify that? If we're all created equal, how do you get to tell a Mexican they're not allowed to move to the United States and buy a house or rent a, an apartment here? You don't have that right. You don't own the whole country. We don't own the whole country. That's socialism. That's communism. You own your house that you bought or you rent. That's it. That's the only property you get to control, whatever you legitimately acquired. We don't own the whole continent, okay? Again, a socialist idea that government owns the whole continent. Who did government buy it from? Come on. This all is socialism. These are all ideas that come out of that. So for you to say that person who is a Mexican citizen because they didn't get government permission to come here, we don't have to ask government to be free. We are free because we're humans. And that's all I have to say about that. Let's, let's <laughs> elaborate on what unconscious racism is. Sure. You can start. <laughs> okay, so what's unconscious racism? So look, obviously we know KKK members are openly racist, right? They openly will say blacks are subhuman, brown people are subhuman. They're not. They're not part of the superior race. That's overt racism. But there are times that you'll make a racist joke because it's funny, or or you'll justify it because it's true. All blacks are criminals, or not all blacks, many blacks are criminals. So, you know, obviously police are going to arrest more blacks because more blacks are committing crimes. But that's not actually true, is it? Because if you look at enforcement statistics, crimes aren't being, uh, aren't being investigated in white neighborhoods. Cops in New York City aren't stopping and frisking in white neighborhoods because all my white friends smoke pot, some of them carry weapons that are not legal. Um, a lot of drug dealers I know, the distributors, are white. And they're pillars of the community. Their parents are lawyers, doctors, politicians. On Staten Island, I could name you politicians' kids right now and police officers' kids right now who are drug dealers. These aren't people I would consider friends. Well, maybe some of the drug dealers. But, <laughs> um, you know, the hardcore criminals t types, you know. But... Um, those people aren't arrested because you know what? Daddy gets them off. How many, Google it. How many cops, you can Google cops, drug, police, drug dealers, Staten Island, and you'll come up with a couple of news stories where it finally came out. Um, and there's a lot of them that they didn't catch. Some of the people that got caught, their siblings didn't get caught. And the dad's a high-ranking cop, and so they get away with it. Martin Scorsese's nephew gets caught distributing heroin, but he doesn't go to prison. Some of the people he that worked with him went to prison, but he didn't. Why? Because his, his uncle's a, a bigwig, right? So, and listen, things are getting real. I'm calling people out right now, but that's <laughs> the way it is. So those people aren't getting stopped and frisked, but you know what? Martin Scorsese's nephew hired drug dealers from the black neighborhood. They got arrested. They got stopped and frisked. They got arrested. They went to jail for years for selling the heroin, but their supplier got off. All right? So that's subconscious racism, thinking that, Oh yeah, most blacks are more into more criminal activity than whites are. It's not true. I mean, and even in in 
in these past few months with the whole enforcing social distancing, I mean, I, I just saw that the majority of, of people that have been um, given tickets or arrested for social distancing have been people of color. Um, there are plenty of neighborhoods here in New York City where it, the parks are filled with uh, white people, where white people are getting together in our neighborhood a few blocks away. There were people hanging out outside of the bar in, in huge groups. Yeah. The police wasn't there. The police is over by the park where the kids are playing basketball or where the kids generally um, get together to play sports. And it's usually just three or four kids, you know, throwing a ball around. And But that's where the police is. The police isn't over here by the hipster bars checking to see if people are properly social distancing. The so, article just came out today that 80% of the summonses for not wearing masks and not social distancing were for black and brown people. You're telling me that no white people were not social distancing? Come on. The MAGA types are totally against their protesting. And I agree with it. If you don't want to wear a mask, you don't have to. But the point is that MAGA types can be out there protesting the lockdown and protesting social distancing and protesting wearing masks, and the police don't do anything about it. But when two black guys are standing outside the deli on the corner just having a conversation or a cigarette together, they get tickets. And so the argument isn't that we need to enforce it on the white MAGA types. Right. That's not our argument at all. Right. It's saying we need to stop enforcing it also yes. when it comes to black or brown. And absolutely, people. somebody made a comment. I lost it, but somebody made a comment about OJ getting off for murder. Yeah, when you're wealthy, it can sometimes transcend your, your skin color. So OJ against a poor white guy who commits a crime, yeah, OJ is probably going to come out better. OJ compared to somebody the same status as him, another Hollywood or football player or something like that, he's not. He's going to get treated worse, right? Bill Cosby doesn't get away with what Bill Clinton can get away with. Come on now. Come on. I'm telling the truth. And yes, as Moji says, the problem is the system. And I think what winds up happening and what somebody was um, trying to, to bring up, and I think the point that they were trying to make is that, yes, it's the system that is not only creating these problems, but it's creating the division between us. And so we start fighting with each other instead of recognizing. The truth is we can sit here and argue all day about who's getting arrested more, who's getting harsher sentences. There are plenty of statistics. You can all do your research and figure that all out. What we're here to talk about is the fact that in order to overcome these issues, we need to be able to listen to each other, to listen to each other's experiences and say, how am I contributing to this experience? How am I contributing to making your life more difficult? I mean, we grow up with certain um, ideas, certain uh points of view. I grew up learning that I have to keep my head down, be quiet, not attract too much attention. You know, if I if I say something too loud, you know, I've heard people tell me just go back to my country, right? They don't want to hear my voice. Danny can be a loud mouth and say everything he wants and people won't, you know, they'll think twice about saying something like that to him. They're not going to tell him go back to your country. And so my issue has never been Oh, I need Danny. I need somebody to say that to Danny too. I need somebody to shut Danny up also. No, it's that we need to end the situations in which minorities are being, uh, their our rights are being taken away. Um, when the truth is we all have rights. We are all sovereign beings. We all have our natural rights. Yeah, and um, you know what? It's not about globalism versus nationalism because they're both forms of socialist tyranny. 
You know, globalism is forced diversity. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the freedom for people to do as they please as long as they don't hurt anybody else. Uh, a Mexican citizen who did not ask for permission of the U.S. government coming in and buying a house and contributing to, to the economy is not uh, taking anything away from anybody else. That's freedom. Read Adam Smith. If you're a capitalist, capitalism requires open borders to function healthy, uh, um, to, to, to function at, at optimal free markets. That's just freedom. It's the free market. Asking government for, for permission is statism. So, so you can't make the, the you can't say that allowing people the freedom to uh, freedom of movement is and and allowing the free market to function is globalism that's not that's the the globalism that soros and hillary clinton push is global tyranny it's a global run government that controls everything or the the maga type of um nationalism where it's american centric is a localized tyranny it's all tyranny none of it is free market <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, we, we really got derailed in this this episode, but um, how do we get back on track now? <laughs> you know, uh, again, um, we are talking about empathy and being able to listen to each other's different perspectives and recognizing that we're all human beings. You know, even Rachel, I disagree with you. I I don't um, think that you fully understand God or the Bible or any of that. And that's okay. I still love you. I still respect you as a human being. I will still pray for you. I will pray for you so that at some point your heart is able to open up and you can hear other people's perspectives because only then will you fully allow love to flow through you. And that's what God is. That's exactly what God is, is being able to allow love to flow through you. And there are so many places where your heart has hardened up and I'm so sorry that you're in that place i'm so sorry that you've been hurt to to be in a place where you can you know spit out so much anger and so much hatred towards other people um so i do i promise i will pray for you and i'm not saying that in a sarcastic or or you know i don't know snotty way it it just really is um i can feel the pain um, through your words and I'm so sorry that you feel that way and I think that's um, the place where we need to get where we start understanding that every other person we encounter is a human being going through different experiences as people are out there protesting right now there are many white people that are also out there protesting for their loved ones that were killed by the police. Um, I saw, uh, I don't know if, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the case of Daniel Shaver, who was shot by Mesa police in Arizona. And um, there, there was no justice for him. And his wife and daughter were out there protesting as well with their signs. And, you know, then people jump in on the posts and they're like, well, where were these people when, you know, Daniel Shaver died or, and, and was killed by the police? And that creates even more division right now. Yeah, those people who supported justice for Daniel Shaver should be out protesting, too. And when Daniel Shaver died and when there was no justice served, they should have organized their protests, too. And I guarantee you that black people who had similar experience would have been out there protesting with them. We can all do this united. Instead, what we're doing is we're fighting each other. We're having a conversation here. We're opening this up to the community. And even in the comments, there are people arguing with each other. So clearly we're missing the point. I mean, this is, this is what we're dealing with. 
And yeah, I agree. I said it in the beginning. Looting and rioting is is not protesting, and it doesn't um, it doesn't necessarily. We're not condoning the looting, but what we're saying is it, it's understandable how people are so angry that they lose control after they kneeled peacefully. They had peaceful Black Lives Matter um, protests where there was no violence and white people and people like um, Rachel still say Black Lives Matter people are sick in the head, they're, they're animals, they're dangerous. This is the rhetoric. This still exists until people like Rachel let go and realize that we're all God's children. We're all God's children. And we all have the right to the way we feel. And sorry, but those protesters, I'm not saying they should should damage people's property, but it's understandable when you're not heard, when you're pushed into a corner, you get desperate and feel like, you know what? Nobody cares, so why should I care? Why should I care about breaking this window? Nobody cares when I get shot. Nobody cares when my husband gets shot, my son gets shot. So it's and it, understandable. And it's I not that it's okay or morally justified, but it's understandable. And I think that the reaction to that kind of proves the point. People are more angry and upset about broken windows or burned down buildings than they are about people getting killed in the street by cops and nobody saying anything. I mean, it, it's public and we see it all over the news and we're getting used to seeing it. It's not the first death, the first murder we've seen on Facebook, on YouTube, on the news. It's coming, you know, we see these stories over and over and over again and we're becoming desensitized to it. We've just accepted that's just what happens sometimes and there's nothing we can do about it. But don't burn down a building because now we have to condemn the people that are rioting and I think that's part of what's being shown in this situation and again I you know I agree with Danny I don't necessarily agree that that's the way but I can fully understand that if somebody killed one of my family members I don't know maybe I would burn down everything I'd burn down the entire ground the entire world to the ground because of the pain it's understandable again not to say that it's the way we in, in my opinion, we all need to do the work. We all need to look within ourselves to see the ideas that, that we are, that are so deeply ingrained in, inside of ourselves. I mean, for so many years, I did believe that I was inferior to white people. You know, that's a story that we've been told for many years. That's a story that African Americans have been told for many years. You know, they, they're descendants of slaves. They, they've dealt with segregation. They've dealt with lynching. And all of that is our generational traumas. And I mean, we saw this quote recently that said, you know, your wound is not your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. Yeah. And so a lot of us have all of these generational traumas and it's hard work to let go of them it's hard work to work through those traumas and release them and recognize that we are sovereign beings that we are responsible for our own lives and that means that we have to look at the ways in which our lives have been colonized the ways that we um the ways that we look at at the world, the, the ways that we allow the government and the colonizers to control our lives, right? A lot of us rely on the healthcare system in this country. 
what healthcare system for minorities. We have the Tuskegee syphilis trials. We have the mass sterilization of Latino and black women in this country. All of these systems have not been beneficial to us. So why are we not looking at alternative systems? Why are we not looking to take care of our health in a holistic way? Why are we not using midwives anymore? You know, why are we not looking for people to stand up for us to use our voices to defend ourselves? We keep looking to vote in somebody else that's going to fix things for us and that's not going to happen we have to be responsible and this is absolutely true everything will go back to normal if we don't come up with a strategy if we don't wake up if we don't start taking responsibility for ourselves for our decisions for the ways in which we're responding to, to things we the anger is absolutely justified there is absolutely um there's it's understandable to be angry, but how can we respond to this anger in a way that benefits us, in a way that benefits our communities? We need to start building stronger communities, helping each other out. We need to start exercising our Second Amendment rights. We need to start paying attention to how the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry in this country is affecting our communities and what we can do about it. We need to start growing our own food and not depending on the government and not depending on all of these outside sources. We need to build self-sustaining communities. Okay, okay, Joseph, all lives matter. So were you out in the streets protesting when George got killed? You don't have to riot, but were, were you protested? Did you raise your voice? See, this is the problem that so many people have been making comments about the looting and the rioting but I went back, I'm looking on social media and I'm going back through their posts to see if they made a comment about the injustice of the murder of George Lloyd, say his name, right? But I didn't see any comments about that. They were silent about the murder, but all of a sudden looting, whoa, that's a bigger problem than murder. One black guy getting killed, no problem. I'm not gonna speak up about that. But, oh my God, a bunch of black people, or it's really, if you look at the videos, it's a lot of white people doing the rioting and the looting. That happens, all of a sudden I'm gonna speak up. That's the problem. You're more concerned with theft, which theft is immoral. Nobody's arguing that. Destruction of property, property is immoral, but murder is worse. Murder is worse. And if you reveal your subconscious biases, you wanna talk about subconscious biases, Huggin, and I agree with you, Huggin. I saw that you said before that you don't think rioting is the right response. I agree, it's not the best, most loving response but it's understandable why people would be so angry. Live the racism experience every day. Be profiled every day. Be stopped and frisked almost every day. Be followed around a store every day because you're suspected of being a thief. Have the president call you a rapist and a drug dealer on TV. Live that experience. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. And you know, you talked, you were also, Joseph, you mentioned something about anarchy. Anarchy is not chaos. As a matter of fact, I saw a meme this morning about rioting. Rioting is the same as democracy. Democracy is mob rule. It's the majority telling the minority how to live. That's mob rule. There's nothing enlightened. There's nothing moral about democracy. Yet we call this the greatest system in the world. We're the best country in the world. Where 51% use government and police to enforce 49% to live how they tell them to. That's not freedom, folks. Anarchy is not chaos. 
Anarchy, if you look up the definition of the word, is self-rule. Anarchy is the core of libertarian and even conservative philosophy and classical liberalism. All of those things sprung from the concepts of anarchy. All anarchy means is we're all God's children. We all have the right to free speech, freedom of movement. We all have the right to do whatever we please as long as we don't hurt anybody else. That's all anarchy means. And it means that we're equal. So I don't have the right to rule over her because she's a minority. I don't have the right to, to if I don't have the right to tell any of you what to do, how, do, how does me casting a vote give a politician the power to tell a cop to tell you what to do? How does that make any sense? There's nothing moral or enlightened about that. It's tyranny. Sorry, guys. Woo! <laughs> yes, justice. <sighs> I didn't realize I was going to be ranting so much today. It feels good, though, to get some of that out. Get all that energy out. To, just, to release it. So thank you, guys. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to get some, some of that out. Um, because, you know, it's been a frustrating week. It's a frustrating week. It's frustrating to deal with people who, to have these conversations over and over with people that are more concerned about the looting than they are about police murders. They're murdering everybody, not just blacks. It's just in a greater uh, ratio. No, socialism is not better. But this is socialism. Democracy, this democratic system we're in, is socialism. Sorry. <laughs> Taxation is theft. Taxation is socialism. We've been a socialist country for more than 100 years. It's time to face that fact. It may be socialism light. It may not be North Korea. It may not be China. Yet, as a matter of fact, China is somewhat more capitalist than we are. But this is socialism. You thinking you can tell someone else what to do because you outvoted them is socialism. Study it. Taking people's money to redistribute it is socialism. Taxation is theft. <laughs> and, and I agree with that. And I understand why people get upset at illegals because they think they're getting welfare. Do the research, man. <laughs> Go with an illegal to a welfare office and have them apply right in front of you and see what they're told. Okay. <laughs> I mean, even going with a minority to the welfare office and seeing what, you know, what you have to go through is, is maybe it will be exactly. eye-opening. How would you have a country? Who needs a country? Why do you need a country? Why do you need a government? Do you need government to tell you what to do? You need government to protect you? Take responsibility for your own life. And I think, you know, as I was saying earlier, it does boil down to personal responsibility. All of our issues come down to personal responsibility. We have to be willing to defend ourselves. We have to be willing to feed ourselves. We have to be willing to look at all of the information to educate ourselves. Take back your sovereignty. Exactly. We already ha we are already sovereign beings. We are under the illusion that we're not sovereign. We are under the illusion that we have to ask daddy government for freedom, that we have to ask daddy government to give us rights. No, we already have them. We were already born with them. We were already born absolutely perfect. I'm perfect. Danny's perfect. You're perfect. And that already exists. Now, we've been conditioned to believe all of these other things. I mean, even even the some religions condition us to believe that we're all sinners and we have to repent and ask God for forgiveness over and over again that we're not worthy. We are absolutely worthy. And the only person judging us is ourselves. We're judging ourselves and each other. God isn't judging us. Um, the world is a dangerous place. 
I mean, honestly, I think the world is a dangerous place mostly because of the United States military and what they do all around the country, making enemies by interfering in other people's business. Um, the world would be a lot safer if the U.S. wasn't meddling in everybody's business. And Joseph is talking about he wants small government. Well, what's a smaller government than anarchy? That's the smallest government you can get. No government at all. Exercise your Second Amendment. Keep yourself safe. The founders didn't believe in institutionalized police or military. They believed in militias. So everybody in the community is armed, and when there's a present threat, when there's danger, those people get together and form a militia and deal with the threat, and then it breaks up so that no one's tempted to rule over each other using the military. And that's exactly what we have now. We have militarized police that are treating Americans like, like they treat people in Afghanistan and Iraq. And you know what? That's immoral too. We trespassed in their countries because we, our politicians said they had weapons and there were no weapons. So. Whoo. <laughs> Only perfection can exist. Yes. And I think we are under the illusion that that's not the case. And it's our job to get back to that place. It's our job to connect with each other and recognize that each human being that we encounter is was created by God in some uh, in some way or another. And yes, even even Trump, even the police officers that are mur that have murdered somebody, these were all created by God for a reason. So, what do we do in in a situation like this? Um I saw Moji's comment about, you know, need us needing to come up with a solution. Um is it this one? We need to look for a better way. And so what is the better way? At this point, um, I think the better way is for us to do our internal work, to talk to the other side, you know, talk to the people that we disagree with, try to listen to their perspectives, not just listen and wait for our turn to speak, not just listen and wait for us to our turn to be able to say, no, this is my way. This is how I see it. And you're wrong. It's a matter of setting your ego aside for a moment, listening to somebody else's experience, getting outside of your head and putting yourself in that person's shoes and recognizing their experience and realizing that their experience is true and that it's a valid experience. And if there's anything that you can do to minimize their pain, why not do it? What would it cost you to help minimize somebody's pain? And only it, when we start, when we're willing to have these conversations, when we're willing to talk to each other without our egos, we'll, we'll be able to break down all of these misconceptions, all of these um, thought beings that have come into our existence that make us believe that we're not equal, that make us believe that somebody who's born on the other side of an imaginary line is somehow better than someone born on the other side, or that somebody born into a wealthy family is somehow better than someone born into a poor family, or that someone born of one gender, gender is somehow better than the other gender. Once we start connecting with each other honestly and empathetically, will we finally be able to move past all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Other countries do it the same because all governments are evil. Because when you give people power over other people that they don't deserve, they're going to commit evil. That's why anarchy is the only moral system. Um, there was another comment about being citizens of the world. How about not being citizens at all? How about just being a loving neighbor? I'm not worried about being a citizen of this country or that country or that government or this government or, or pledging loyalty to a government. That's socialist. That's a socialist concept to 
pledge loyalty to a government. I don't want to be a citizen of any country. I just want to be a good neighbor. And if my neighbor decides they're going to try and hurt me, I'm responsible to defend myself. And I will defend myself forcefully if need be. But until I'm threatened, I'm going to treat my neighbor like I, I'm going to love my neighbor like I love myself because that's what Christ taught. <laughs> be a loving neighbor. Exactly. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> this has been uh, an exhausting conversation. It has. <laughs> there needs to be a platform to have a structured conversation. The shouting and chaos in the public square is not the way to go. I agree. And I think that what the reason we've gotten to the point of the shouting in the public square is because nobody's been doing the listening. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like a, yes. it's like a child throwing a temper tantrum. A child throwing a temper tantrum doesn't need you to scream at them or tell them to shut up. They need you to sit with them and say, "What do you need? What what is happening right now? What are you feeling right now? And how can we work through it?" If if you shut the child down, the only thing you're creating is someone with suppressed emotions who can't communicate, who can't deal with things being uncertain or with things feeling uncomfortable. And I think we do need to practice being uncomfortable. Sometimes our partners are going through something difficult and it's uncomfortable to hear it. It's uncomfortable to have to deal with it. But you know, that's, that's our work as human beings. That's our work uh, as people living in a society with others around us. If, you know, if we don't want to do that, we can find a home somewhere up in the mountains where nobody will ever find us and you won't have to interact with anyone. And maybe that's the way to go for you. But if you're going to interact in a society, you're going to have to have the uncomfortable conversations. Hugin, it can't, we can't get there. It will never happen in the future if you and I don't start doing it now in our own lives. That's how we get there in the future. Yeah, maybe it is realist, unrealistic. Anarchy, a lot of people say anarchy is unrealistic, and it is. But you can apply the, the principles of anarchy, of being personally responsible and loving your neighbor. You can apply those in your life right now. And it doesn't, it's not going to harm anybody, and it's not going to cause any chaos. It will diffuse the chaos because you're one less person contributing to the chaos. And that's the point we're trying to make. That's what our whole site, Sovereign in the City, is about is about applying the principles of anarchy to your personal life. You can't change the fact that the government taxes and rules over. You can't really change. Even if you vote, that's not going away. So the idea is to take those principles, apply them to your own life so you're not contributing to that chaos, to that evil, to that tyranny. It's opting out of that system and building something new through community, through co a cohesive community by working together. And I think the mistake we tend to make is to say, well, we have to make sure everybody's an anarchist before we try that. And that's not the case. We don't have to wait for everybody else to see it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change until we start taking personal responsibility and saying, I'm not going to hurt anybody else. I'm not going to offend anybody else. I'm not going to uh, try to control anybody else. I'm a free person. I'm going to treat everybody as a free person. And the more we begin to do that, the more people that start to do that the more the change happens it's not going to be overnight it's not like tomorrow we're all going to wake up and boom anarchism <laughs> it, it takes work it takes us doing the work and you know we live in new york city which is a police state which is there are so many laws and rules and and it's really difficult to live in this type of uh environment but 
we try to make sure that every interaction that we have is an interaction in which there's mutual respect. Yeah, absolutely. Voluntarism, that's what it is. And yeah, it is okay to be white. No one's saying it's not okay to be white. We're not bashing whites. We're just saying that whites have the power, because we make up 70% of U.S. society, we have the power to take control of our government. But we don't. We allow our government to run roughshod over minorities. And we think that this is moral. We've been taught that majority rules, that democracy is a moral thing. And it's not. It's not okay for the 70% white majority to stay silent about the fact that police are killing people. Whether it's black people or Daniel Shaver or... Um, Terrence, uh, I forget his name, the homeless guy that they killed in LA a few years ago. Um, none of those, none of those deaths are okay. But you know what? The seventy percent people that have control over the society allow it to happen, and it's statism. Racism and statism are cousins, my friends. They are cousins. They are collectivist cousins, and you can't defeat one without defeating the other. We have to fight them both. It's as simple as that. I mean, I, I wish that people could see this. It is okay to be white. Of course it is. I'm white. I'm I don't hate myself. I don't I I do have and people call it guilt, white guilt. It's not white guilt. It's empathy for other people that that don't have it as good as I have it. So We've already gone over. I mean, we can continue <laughs> the conversation if you like. <laughs> Um, let's see. Do we have any other comments that we need to address? Does anybody else want to make any, um, any comments? And to Rachel, we're not leftists. We're, I know you'd like to think of us as le leftists because it makes it easy um, for you to dismiss what we're saying. Um, but, you know, that's not actually the, the case. And I see you, uh, Janelle. I've seen your comments and I appreciate them. All of them. <laughs> there was one that slipped by that I think many people didn't notice, but I saw it. Uh, here we go. If you want your government to protect legal citizens and not illegals, it's racism and worship of the state. I don't want my government to protect anybody. It's not my government, first, first of all. It's an occupying force. It's a bunch of elites that decided they have the right to rule over the rest of us. And I don't need their rule, and I don't need their protection. And I don't think they should be stopping anybody from doing anything because they don't have the power to do that. And I think that's kind of the trick of, of the whole thing, right? This belief that it's our government. Our government wouldn't be killing its own people. Our government would be defending us perhaps against outside uh, people trying to harm us. But the truth is our government turns on us all the time. And that in and of itself is an illusion. So no, it's not about protecting legal citizens and not illegals, it being racism or worship of the state. It's just it, apples and oranges, I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Veronica, I don't have a problem with Rachel being here and sharing because I think we need to face the fact that, that there are people like her that think like her and we can't ignore it. I think this is one of the benefits of the Trump administration is that it's emboldened people that felt like it was politically incorrect to share these thoughts. But we need to face the fact that these people are here amongst us and still think this way. And it's not even that we should be bashing them or shaming them for their opinions. I know Vanessa sincerely meant what she said before about praying for Rachel because that's the only way this gets solved is if we deal with people that have these prejudiced and hateful attitudes with love, share Christ's love with them, and help them to see the, the 
that, first of all, if they're Christians, that this violates Christ's commands to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, obviously, considering you're illegal, as someone an illegal, no human is illegal. I would assume, Rachel, that you're probably pro-Second Amendment, right? I mean, I don't know if... if I don't think there's anything such thing as an illegal gun because I don't think government has the right. The Second Amendment says, shall make no law. So therefore, gun, all gun control is unconstitutional. So there's no such thing as an illegal gun. Well, I take the same principle of freedom and apply it to immigration. There's no such thing as an illegal person. Everybody is free. This is a free country. You have the freedom to come here and rent or, or buy a house and apply for a job. And if somebody wants to hire you, if the free market wants to hire you, that's their right. Who are you to tell someone they don't have the right to hire an illegal because they didn't ask for permission of the socialist government to come here, right? So take you have to consistently apply those things. So these are arguments we can make with people like this, with, with conservatives. I come from, and I still am very conservative on a lot of things. I am wholeheartedly pro-life. At the same time, I don't. I think it's the the. It's not between. It's not up to me to get in between a woman and her doctor or a woman and God. She'll God will deal with women who who abort. And I, that sounds so judgmental because I, I think that that that. Uh, <laughs> it's like a, that's like a whole other show, right? <laughs> I don't mean to to sound judgmental of women who feel that they need to have abortions. Um, I, I think, like like you were saying, it is between God and that person, and it's not up to me to get in between that. Exactly, and it's not up to government to get in between that. Um, I, God is much more effective at dealing out justice than humans are. And I completely agree with you, Rachel, that it shouldn't be your responsibility to support yes, illegals. Absolutely. It shouldn't be your responsibility to support anybody. Anyone. It shouldn't be your responsibility to support politicians financially for them to take money out of your paycheck, for them to buy their million-dollar homes. I don't think that it's fair. I don't think that it's right. And so I completely agree with you. I don't want you to have to support illegal immigrants. I don't want you to have to support legal immigrants either. It's mm -hmm. not your job and it's not your responsibility. Yes, absolutely. So we would totally agree on that. Um, but again, the mugger here is government. Government's the one taking your money and giving it mostly to Amazon and Tesla and all these big corporations. They're the ones getting the most of your money and, and war contractors. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, do some illegals get some benefits? Yes, I'm sure on, on a state level or local levels they can get certain things. But like I said, go with an illegal to a um, welfare office and, try, and watch them try to apply and see what happens. They're not going to get it. Um, without a social security number, you don't get it. And, you know, you can, you can get a social in, at a certain point before you're technically a legal citizen, but it's, it's not just anybody can get it. Um, <sighs> all right i love you <laughs> rachel i love you you are god's child just like we are i love you i wish that we could have a conversation in person where we could discuss it calmly in a, in a loving compassionate manner and i think we could come to understand that we probably agree on a lot more than you think we do um and I think that's the common misconception, right? Yeah. There's that somebody who has a particular belief, you know, we're saying 
no human is illegal and so rachel automatically says you guys are leftist and there are all these misconceptions and the truth is if we all sat down and had conversations and got to know each other you know daryl davis style where you get to know somebody and you realize you have so much more in common than you anticipated then all of these other things are just stories that you've been told by the media, by the government, by those that wish to control you. So what we're trying to say is let's have honest conversations. Let's have authentic conversations, hear each other out and recognize how many, how much we have in common. And then we'll realize that it, it's not you against me. It's perhaps the government trying to create the illusion that it's you against me, but that's not the case. And this is absolutely the truth. Thank you, Brianna. Um, we do all deserve to be heard. Even when our opinions are prejudiced, even when, you're, when our opinions are hateful, we all deserve to be able to express ourselves. And that is something that I will stand by and defend forever. I don't agree with any type of censorship, um, even when it's something I don't want to hear, even when it's something that's offensive to me and I don't like. I will defend your right to say it till the end because that is what freedom is. Freedom is tolerating things we don't like, more brown people, more illegals, um, taco trucks on every corner, uh, you know, all, anything that we don't like, that's freedom. That's the price we pay for freedom. And you have to, you have, to have the integrity, the personal integrity to apply the philosophy of freedom to everyone and everything. And just unless somebody is trying to hurt you and harm you, that's where you have to draw the line. But up until that point, someone annoying you, tough, too bad. That's the price of freedom. And yes, I agree with Moji. It's a matter of unlearning what you were taught and learning the truth. And that's our responsibility. Um, we can't change everybody. I can't change Rachel's point of view. I can't force her to see my point of view. I can only do my internal work to deconstruct the ideas that I've been taught and hope that someday she does the same thing too. And, you know, maybe we'll agree, maybe we won't. And that's okay. She has the right to her beliefs as well. <laughs> so we totally got got off the interracial relationships, but I think it was but important. It is, but it is part of the interracial yes. relationships because we all are going to interact with people of other races, of other yep. walks of life, of other beliefs. And this is part of the work that we've been doing together as well. We've been having to listen to each other, put our, our egos aside and pay attention to that. We, we prefer to talk about love also, but sometimes we have to, sometimes we have to face these hard issues and, and deal with them and not just shut them out. I could have easily blocked Rachel and ended the conversation. And believe me, some of her comments, especially directed at me personally, some of the names she called me, I had the temptation to just block her. But you know what? I can't shut that out because we have to face it. It's there. And... And I think that it is part of love, doing the work and having these uncomfortable conversations and giving a voice to people that we disagree with. That's part of the love as well. And I know we we tend to think of love as it's all pretty and nice yeah. and sweet, but love is the hard work, is looking at the difficult parts, the ugly parts that we don't want to see. I mean, we, we work through this stuff in our relationship. There are some aspects of our personalities that we don't like about each other, and we have to sit with that and deal with it and listen to it. Sometimes I want to talk to Danny about stuff that he's not interested in and it you know it's a matter of him having to be present and paying attention even if he's not interested even if he doesn't agree with my opinion even if I'm having a meltdown over something and he's like you're totally overreacting right now 
when he sits there and listens to it and empathizes, I can finally release it. And that's part of what we're trying to show with with this conversation that, yeah, some of Rachel's um, comments are are hurtful. Um, I think I've gotten to a place where I'm no longer affected as much by those types of comments, but they are hurtful. And the truth is, I recognize that they also come from a place of pain. They come mm -hmm. from a place of fear. Yeah. There's clearly, um, she's clearly upset about having to be, having her money stolen to mm -hmm. be given to someone else. And if that someone else in her mind is an illegal, I can totally understand why she would be angry. Um, unfortunately it's not correct and uh, somebody made a comment before like oh yeah so i guess feelings are come before facts or something like that and it's the same case with rachel clearly her feelings are in a place where she feels like it's unfair and i completely i can understand that i can relate to that i can empathize with that it is unfair to have your money stolen and it's unfortunate that you've been told that your money is being stolen to be given to an illegal immigrant when in reality the majority of your money is going to major corporations yeah but maybe one day you'll get there and maybe one day you'll recognize that it's not what you think it is and maybe you won't and that's okay i can still love you despite your, our, our disagreements, our difference of opinions. And I think that, um, who was saying that they wanted to hear talk about love? I think that's that's Veronica. part of, Veronica was saying uh, she wanted to hear about love and that's part of it. We have to love even the parts within our society that seem unlovable. Yeah, and I think that that, that brings up a good point <clears throat> about emotions, right? About the fear and we do live in this democratic system where the majority rules and i see a lot of anxiety and i think trump and maga i think that's what trump tapped into was the fear of white americans that they're going to be outnumbered that if too many illegals come over and the democrats give them amnesty and make them citizens or allow illegals to vote that the white majority is going to be outvoted and then their life is going to change that's the fear mm -hmm. and so yeah i can understand i feel the same way but it doesn't it's not a, to me i don't single out illegals because i know from my experience with latinos in general the younger generation maybe does a little bit lean towards a, a more leftist socialist kind of thing because they bought into the bernie bro rhetoric but in general latinos are family values most of them are very committed catholics they're very conservative people um, so I just don't buy that. Um, but to me, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you're all trying to tax me. The Republicans want to tax me to pay for corporate subsidy and, and war. And the Democrats want to tax me, well, also to pay for subsidy, uh, corporate subsidies and wars, but they pretend that it's about helping the little guy. But we all see from the latest stimulus package that the Republicans resisted and the Democrats were all for, they're giving trillions of dollars to to corporations while giving the little guy 1200 bucks each big deal of our money thanks for letting us have 1200 bucks back <laughs> so i don't see any difference between either party in terms of they both want to take and sometimes the democrats want to take a little less on some issues and take more on another and the republicans are the opposite and i think it's designed that way because no matter no matter who we elect we lose that we the people lose and freedom loses so I don't differentiate and, and choose, oh, I'm going to be a little bit more on this side or a little more. I agree with, with somewhat with both people on the left and the right on certain issues. 
And I think when it comes down to it, we probably all agree with so much more than what these two sides are being divided and and thought to believe yeah. that we believe. Um, I wanted to highlight this. Um, I see the value in not silencing anyone now. I just get triggered easily. Believe me, I do too. And um, part of, I think, what we intended to discuss in this conversation <laughs> was that... Um, it is difficult. It is completely difficult to have these conversations. Um, it's hard to face the ugly stuff, the the things that we don't want to see. Um, for for Danny, Danny's a very in-your-face, loud. He's very outspoken. I'm more quiet, but I do face a lot of the uncomfortable stuff on my own. I'm more comfortable with facing the uncomfortable things. Um, quietly and in an open setting where we're allowing people to comment and say these things it's hard i'm sitting here and some of these comments are um are frustrating um but at the same time um i've done so much internal work myself to get to a place where i can see how others are perhaps hurting in one way or another when they express themselves a certain way and to be able to see that kind of puts my guard down and allows me to be able to let that love flow through to everybody who participates in the conversation. So I'm grateful that you're all here and that everybody has an opinion and that we can have these conversations. Um, I agree. I don't like using the term illegals. Um, it's there's no such thing as an illegal human being. There is absolutely no reason um, to call someone. And you want to talk about Soros. That is like a Soros um, invented term to cause divide and conquer, to, they're illegal, they're separate, they're different, they're not us. That's not true. We're all human beings. We're all part of the same God. Whether whether people believe in God or not, it doesn't matter. We all come from the same source. We all come from that. We're, we all have a piece of God within us. And so we're all brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> That's the truth. All right. Do we have any more comments left? <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Huggin, for your contributions. Thank you, um, Justice and, and Veronica and Rachel. Thank you also. Um, thank you for your um, contributions as well, because um, we couldn't have had this conversation without you. I don't agree that Trump is our only hope. I think we are our only hope. Putting too much hope in a savior, a political savior, it, first of all, it's idolatry, I believe. But um, you're going to be disappointed. I'm sorry to say and that I think when you put your trust in another human being, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, I think that, that that also creates a situation where we don't, we're not willing to do the work ourselves. And I think that's part of the whole anarchist philosophy is that personal responsibility. Nobody's coming to save you. Nobody's ever going to put your needs above theirs. So you need to do your own internal work. And... Um, do the things that that you value look at look at your thoughts and beliefs and i don't know start looking at these ideas listening to other perspectives and yeah i agree that it's it we can't just put all our hope into any single person because we're always going to be disappointed all right everyone thank you so much before we go i do just have to um do a little bit of housekeeping please follow <laughs> us on social media as we all know, big tech companies are doing more and more um, censorship on social media. They're, they're um, blocking certain points of view. 
um, what they consider conspiracy theories. So Float and Minds app are two um, are two uh, social media networks that do not censor. They are blockchain based and they're privacy centric. They do not sell your information to anybody and they don't um, censor anybody. So we are definitely promoting their use over Facebook um, and, and um, YouTube. Also, we have a bunch of others like um, uh, bitshoot.com or, or bitshoot.tv, I think it is, is like a YouTube alternative that doesn't censor. But we're also, of course, on all the major ones as well, Instagram. Please follow us. Give us a like. Share our stuff. Share the show with people that you think might be interested in the, the or benefit from the discussion. We really would appreciate that. And thank you so much for joining us. It was a great conversation. It was a very lively conversation. And, uh, and we appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, we really do appreciate everybody who joins us each week and who leaves comments. Um, leave us some comments on what other topics you'd like to see us cover. We're always looking for new ideas. Email us, sovereigninthecity at gmail.com. Email yes. us. Um, Brianna and uh, Veronica both had topics they wanted to discuss. Email us. We'll get you on the show. Anybody else, too. It's welcome. Everybody's Anybody welcome. Anybody who's interested in coming on the show. Hey, Rachel, if you want to come on the show. Come on, let's let's have a friendly debate <laughs> or friendly conversation. It doesn't necessarily even have to be a debate. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you for um, leaving your amazing comments, and uh, we hope you have an amazing rest of your Sunday and a great week. Um, once again, just remember to do your work. Remember Amen. to look within. Um, we love you all, and see you guys next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, visit us at patreon.com slash sovereign love stream. Thank you for listening.